We dedicate this episode of Womanity to the memory of Mr. Lungi Dewetti, Channel Africa's program manager, who was at the inception of Womanity. His spirit will forever live on in this show. So in his honor, this is the first interview he coordinated for the program. Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us in studio today is Yvonne Chaka Chaka, who most of us associate with her prolific musical career, which spans almost three decades. Her hit records have earned numerous awards, such as Samas, Choras, and OKTVs. OK she has performed across the globe with other megastar musicians like Bono, Stevie Wonder, Alicia Keys, Aretha Franklin, Angelique Kijo, Will I Am, Annie Lennox, Yusu Ndor, Queen, <coughs> and Johnny Clegg. Whilst her music has entertained millions, her humanitarian efforts campaign for causes that affect millions, some of which include being chosen by Nelson Mandela as the first ambassador for his 4664 campaign, and she continues to serve as an ambassador for the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. She became the first goodwill ambassador for the Global Rollback Malaria Partnership and continues to serve there, as well as UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador for Malaria, the United Nations Millennium Development Goal Envoy for Africa, which we will hear about more shortly. Welcome to the show, Ms. Chaka Chaka. Thank you for having me. From an early age, you realized that you could use your talents to fight inequalities and injustices, which are remembered by many in hit songs such as I Cry for Freedom and Motherland. I would like to share with the listeners that Nelson Mandela wrote to you from prison, describing how your music had sustained him. Can you tell us a bit more about the period when you wrote those two particular songs and also how you felt when you received the letter from Nelson Mandela? I started singing in 1985 and things were very difficult during that time. I just completed my metric and I was ready to go to university to study law. But um, it didn't happen because at the age of uh, 19, I well, at the age of 18, I fell pregnant whilst I was in metric. And I had my son. So my mother's very upset with me. And I always look back and say, um, if I knew what I know now, I would not have fallen pregnant then. But uh, I think I say to myself, my son was a blessing from God. I brought him up uh, in those difficult circumstances. But as I say, if I had the education and the knowledge that I have now, I would not have done it. So when I started singing in 1985, because I grew up uh, during the apartheid years and my mother worked as a domestic worker, and I think it's during those times that I saw that there were so many inequalities in our country because when my father died at the age of 11, the, the white government took the house and we ended up staying in the madam's backyard. Uh, sometimes they would call the police to come and raid us and they would take us back to the townships. So things were very difficult and at that age I just thought, why me? Is it because of the color of my skin or is it because my mother is not that educated or what is the problem? And I vowed never to work for anybody in my life and I said, 
at some stage I want to make a mark in this country. I don't know how, uh, but I would do it. So from a very early age, I was very determined to want to be somebody or to want to do something in my country. We knew about Nelson Mandela. I think every child knew but we never knew his face. We didn't know what he looked like. We sang songs like uh, Oliver Tambo, Teta no Bota, Akululu Mandela, you know, like Oliver Tambo, speak to Bota to release Mandela. So I think every child was quite conscientized at the time because we knew things were not right in our country. Things were not equal. So when I started singing, I thought this is a great platform to air my views, to disseminate the information that I have about my country. And, uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, the song I'm in love with, the DJ, which was my debut uh, single, had already been written. They were just looking for a, a girl. So I was at the right place at the right time because Phil Hollis, who found me, said to me, here's a song. I'd like you to record this song. And it all started there. And in 1987, I remember being a very big star then. Sipo Mabuse came to me and said, when he would like to, to see you. I freaked out. I said, what? I'm not a comrade. I, I, I don't know. You know, you, you shook because you didn't know whether you've done something right or something wrong. Then, you know, we met with Winnie and he gave me two notes, which one I still kept, the one that she wrote herself. In fact, I should frame it and, 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 and sell it for yes. a lot of money. But the notes frame that it, she, don't sell it. That's it, heritage. It's put nicely in my album and gave me two notes to say Yvonne Shaka Shaka. In fact, the Shaka Shaka was S-H-A instead of C-H-A-K. But I was very excited but freaked out. And I told my mother, and my mother was just so upset. She said, you can't. You know, the special branch will come here, will be investigated. You can't do that. You know, it wasn't something that one could have been proud of. But we were very scared. And um, I really look up to Winnie, I must say. For me, I think she was one of those women who came to every show where we were, or if there was any crisis, Winnie would be the first one to come and talk to us and want to know what the problem was. And for me, she still remains the mother of the nation because she's always been and nothing will ever change. I mean, some of us sang those songs because she encouraged us to sing about Mandela. She encouraged us to sing about the injustices that were happening in our country. So for that, I really think... She she did a, a great job. She kept the Mandela name up there because she constantly reminded us that this man, if you guys don't talk, if you guys don't sing about it, we are going to forget about this man and we don't need to do that. And I've got so much respect for her. And I think that with a musician's voice, musicians immortalize our history in their narratives. And particularly when we think of Africa, we've got such a rich oral history that it just sustains it and it goes through from generation to generation. Absolutely. Because, you know, people like Miriam Makeba, people like Dorothy Masuku, they ended up in exile because they were talking about uh, the terrible laws that this country had and they, they never got to come back home. So these people were in exile for 30 years. So you can imagine because they were singing, they were talking to the world in a better way that they understood through music. And after almost 30 years in the music industry, and as you've mentioned, you started within the apartheid regime, through to the liberation, through to our first democratic election and subsequent ones, and you've worked with the likes of South African legends like Miriam Makeba, but also others. And during these years where we've seen the whole transformation of, of South Africa, at the same time, you've also transformed into a legend yourself even earning the title Princess of Africa. 
Can you take us through a couple of the most memorable moments in your career? You know, my career has been a very interesting one because from uh, when I started singing, I know I was called an overnight success. I guess nobody really thought there was longevity in the music industry. My mother was just very upset anyway. My two sisters uh, thought I was mad to sing. And they insisted that I do go to university because they said, you have to have something to fall back on because you don't know. You've got this heat. I'm in love with the DJ. And what after that? And um, I'm actually very happy that they did that because, you know, as much as I had my feet firm on the ground, I didn't know if it would be sustainable. Did you pursue the law degree I as well? tried to really study law. I tried studying law. I failed Afrikaans. I failed history one. I failed mercantile law. And I said to my mother, it's not working. Let me try and do something else. So I studied through Trinity College of London. I did speech and drama and public speaking. And I then went to UNISA to, to study uh, adult education. Uh, I wasn't sure if I would really finish my degree. So I did my certificate first um, because then I, I was really busy just doing my music. And uh, Professor Mackay, who was my professor at UNISA, encouraged me to do a higher diploma as well. So it was a three-year course that I did because I wasn't sure if I would do a deg degree for three years and will I be able to do it, you know, my shows, my tours and things like that. At the back of my mind, I thought I needed something to fall back on. I need to be able to acquire knowledge as well. I went to pursue something else, and I did, I did business management and administration because I thought I want to pursue business, and I'm a business person, so I need something that will really help me understand the business that I'm in. And I was quite happy that I did that. I'm trying to pursue my MBA now. It's very difficult at 49 to study. But, you know, I've seen women at 50, at 55 studying. And I get very encouraged because I always say to myself, you're never too old to learn. A hundred percent. Never too old to learn. And the flexible options that are in place now allows us to be able to incorporate things into our lives. Oh, absolutely. It may take a bit longer, but... <laughs> Yes, the because the brain the day, is not as flexible as it used to be. Never <laughs> mind the brain, it's all fitting in all the other commitments oh, that come in. And you lead an incredibly busy life with everything that you do. You know, traveling and performing and doing tours and doing all sorts of things, really, they really keep me busy. And I have to thank my family because they've given me unconditional love from my husband to my children and my mother before she died. She'd always been there for me. But I traveled with my kids when they were younger. So they were with you the whole time? Oh, yes, yes. And what is your formula to manage everything? You know, I, I always say to people, you know, we are all men as, as human beings, but some of us who bring life into this world and, and endowed with, with boobs and, and, and backsides and things are well-organized men, you know, women. So we really try to tackle the bull by the horn. We make things which seem impossible to work. So uh, I said to myself, here am I with this career and uh, I, I want to build a family and I want to be <clears throat> a mother as well. And I think it's very, very important not to be a, a, a remote control mother because really that becomes a huge problem. So I, I, I traveled with my kids. I had a nanny coming with me if I was going on tour and when I'm back home, I wanted to make sure that I try to be this good wife. So I think 
there's no recipe for being a parent. There's absolutely no recipe of being a wife as well. Uh, you do things as, as they come with the hope that things will be okay. And I must say, in my 25 years in this marriage, I've had a great, the greatest support from my husband and my children and my two elder sisters. And, you know, we tend to forget the people who, who help us as well. My helpers have constantly been there, brought up my children, and they're like families, like, like family to me now. So it's having a really strong support structure. Oh, yeah, I really think so, because you really can't do it on your own. You know, you can't do it on your own. But um, I always say, you know, as, as a mother, you constantly have to be there as well, even though it's not easy. I've been a tuck shop mother at my children's uh, um, school. I've been a class mother because, you know, it makes them feel good as well to see you being involved in their schoolwork. So I've really, really tried to do that, which was not very easy. I mean, my baby's 21 years old now. But you've got four children. I've got four sons. Four boys. Yes. Wow, so you are the only woman yes. in an all-male household. <laughs> so I guess that's why things in my household are very easy because they know when the bull is upset, there's no food. So they treat me with kid gloves and they make sure that they make their beds. They pick their socks from the floor and put them where they're supposed to, and they just clean up. But I think the dynamic that's also interesting is in terms of how they're growing up as boys, but being ha- they're having to fill all of the duties. It's not a case of some of the responsibilities are going to the girls in the house. Well, unfortunately, the unfortunately. They're doing everything. Oh, yes, all the chores. You know, if I have to start cooking, one of them has to just help me with peeling the potatoes or doing something. One of them will have to wash dishes, and they know that is just the rule of the house. And they've, they've gotten used to that. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band. Today we're talking to musician and humanitarian Miss Yvonne Chakachaka. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Now picking up on our discussion, Miss Chakachaka, you have become a role model throughout the African continent and a warrior, an agent for change on a global scale. Secretary-General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, called you the Queen of Equality after lending your voice to the Free and Equal Campaign for Gay Rights. And you were chosen by Nelson Mandela as the first ambassador for his 4664 campaign and continue to serve as an ambassador for the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. You're an active citizen of the world and you use your celebrity status to power causes like these. Please can you share some insights into what drives you in these campaigns? Um, you know, Doc, um, I guess knowing how is it like not to have food and uh, growing up during apartheid and seeing those atrocities that ha- were happening uh, to our women, to our children, we've seen women being abused and bitten by their husbands really made me to want to do other things, not only in my country, but I- I- in the whole world, if I may. Then I started singing, and then I had this platform, and I had this voice, and I had this status that allowed me to be able to do that. When I was asked, you know, by um, Madiba to be the 4664 uh, ambassador, I thought, you can never say no to that man. Because for me, I constantly say, Nelson Mandela, Oliver Tambo, and all other leaders, your uh, uh, Ahmed Kathrada, and 
all the other African leaders, they fought for us and they gave us back our dignity. I constantly say, today I'm a woman that I am because of my mother to start with. And today I call South Africa home and a proud citizen of the world because of people like Nelson Mandela and all other leaders who fought for us and gave us back our dignity. Because you can imagine being a citizen of South Africa, we never were allowed to vote. We, we lived in the townships, and when we had our freedom, we were allowed to live where, anywhere, and we were allowed to interact with our white counterparts. So that, for me, was something that I was, like, proud of calling South Africa home, because before, you didn't even want people to, to know if you were a South African. You felt very ashamed to call South Africa home, because you knew that you were just a non-entity in South Africa. So when I started singing, I thought I need to sing, but I wanted to tell the world about all the good and the bad, whether it was about women's emancipation or women's plights or women going to a clinic, walking 20 kilometers, and sometimes some of them don't even go there. Being able to tell the truth. Tell the truth as it is and, and say, whilst the truth is told, what do you do to help? disseminate that information or help to empower others because you have been empowered by those people. I never forget that I am what I am today because of the people who buy my records, because of the people who call me the Princess of Africa. But in return, what do I do for them? Do I just live in cloud nine and say I'm a superstar? I don't think so. Do something that is very constructive, that will empower others, that will make sure that those who are disenfranchised and segregated are helped or you pull them along with you as you go up the ladder. So it's your way of being able to give back on a grander scale. Well, I want to think so because really for me, the work that I do, it's not only in South Africa. Uh, we just finished uh, uh, filming a documentary called A Motherland Tour, Stories of African Women. Uh, I traveled to places like Ghana, Sierra Leone, Namibia, listening to women's plights because I think women know their problems and they do know their solutions and you all have to give them a hand up. I don't believe in handouts at all. I believe in hand out in hand end up because then it's like saying to a child or anybody, I will take you to the river and teach you how to fish so that you can constantly be able to fish for yourself. I'm not gonna come here and give you fish. When you finish eating it what happens. Providing the skills, having the sustainable element, and dialoguing is absolutely critical. So I find on many occasions, people don't necessarily talk about things in the open, but when they have smaller groups, particularly women, it's when they have those discussions, it's when they feel comfortable, it's when they open up, express themselves, and then they also at the same time, it's coming up with the solutions that are right for them. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I remember when I traveled to, to Zambia, there was a, a, a chieftain a nurse. She, she was amazing. She was about 40-something year old. And she said, I decided to go back to school full time because I realized that I got married at a very early age and I had children and I was not empowered at all. My husband could do anything that he wanted and I would never negotiate anything. But if I go to school with these young people, it will be very easy for me to stand out there and say to them, go to school because I am going to school myself. And those are the things that really make, make me want to think, 
it's never too late to learn and there still is a bright light at the end of the tunnel because I think really can you imagine if a woman is not educated some of her children will never find the reason to go to school so it will become a vicious cycle but if a woman is educated she will make sure that she gets her children to be even more educated than her so that they shouldn't depend on her. We always want more for our children than we do for ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And that's, absolutely. that's the multiplier effect, that their lives will inevitably always be better than ours because of how we drive and That is very true. Forwards. That is true. Apart from the work that you've done, you've mentioned the Motherland Tour, doing the, the travels there, you are also the UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador for Malaria, and recently you were in Namibia under this umbrella. Can you tell us more about what the role entails and where it has taken you? In 2004, I traveled to Gabon. Um, it was South Africa's 10th anniversary, and they had a big jamboree there. They had artists from all over Africa, and I got invited to go and perform there. Uh, coming back, one of my musicians contracted malaria, Pumzilentuli, contracted malaria in Gabon, and we came back home. And I, I still remember very well when we came out of the plane, she just said to me, Gogo, they call me Gogo. Um, I've got a headache. And my husband was at the airport to come and pick me up. And and he said to her, you know what, uh, go home, relax, because it was a very early flight. Uh, go home and relax, but make sure that by the afternoon you come back to, to see me. Or if you think my, my practice is far, just go to any, any, any clinic or any doctor, but insist, just insist that they... Uh, check if you've got malaria. And three days later, I got a call from Pumzilla's flight mates to say she's not well at all, you know, she, her eyes are yellow and things like that. And it was just terrible. So we got a, an ambulance. We met her in hospital, so they took her to ICU. And um, long story short, she had cerebral malaria and she died. And that for me was a, a wake-up call, a very big wake-up call. I thought... Pumzila was a session musician. She would perform with me. She would perform with Miriam Akeva. She would perform with Kaifas and Letta and Stimela. She would work with different artists. But this particular trip, she decided to come with me. And I said to myself, this is something that I never anticipated. What do I do and things like that? Went, buried Pumzile, and it, it was just so, so sad that she had left a young boy. I wanted to do something about malaria. I went on every encyclopedia I could get hold of. I googled. I wanted so much information about malaria. And when I read that malaria was preventable and treatable, and yet so many women and children were dying, I thought, this is not acceptable. What can I do? called my deepest office, called the Department of Health. I, I was just mad. I didn't know what to do. But I think God was sitting there watching because he knew what he had planned for me. In January 2005, I got a call from uh, Ethiopia, from UNICEF. They were looking for this Ivan Chakachaka to be a goodwill ambassador. So I flew to Ethiopia. They had actually a big show. They were celebrating Bob Mali's 60th birthday. So they said to me, we've got two things that we'd like you to come to Ethiopia for. We'd like you to come and perform for Bob Marley's 60th birthday and would like to have a meeting with you the following day. Okay. Didn't even know what 
that there so was. So you didn't know in no. terms of, of what their expectations no. were for no. you? So I went, performed, and the following morning I had this guy called Bjorn, and there was a lady called Bushy who kept on calling me in South Africa to say, you have to go to Ethiopia. And they said, oh, the show was great last night. Sorry to wake you up this morning, but um, here's a letter. I would like you to be a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. I thought, okay, what does that entail? Uh, you know, would like you to do lots of work about AIDS in the whole of Africa. I thought, okay, AIDS... I fully understand and I really appreciate it, but I need to tell you a story. I said, in the past five months, my life had changed totally. And I think it's a great gesture that you want me to be a goodwill ambassador, but I'd like to be a goodwill ambassador on malaria. So they looked at me and they said, but South Africa is like the first world. There's not much malaria in South Africa. I said, well, I don't consider myself a South African. I'm a very proud South African, but I'm a citizen of Africa. And I've read that malaria kills so many women, children under five, and it is preventable and, 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 and curable. And very few people talk about it. I said even I was totally ignorant about malaria. They looked at each other and they said, it's okay. So it's like I became the first UN Goodwill Ambassador, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador, to choose a course. Because they actually come to you and say, we'd like you to help us on this. So they nominate, they nominate you they on the areas that they think you can help them with, you know. And it started there and I have not stopped, you know. So that's been going nine years already? It's going nine years. Next year I'll be turning 50. It will be my 30th anniversary in the music industry and it will be 10 years since I became UNICEF and rolled back Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. It's been eye-opening. I've traveled. I've seen faces and places. I've engaged with leaders of the world. I've seen change. I've seen women uh, using uh, these impregnated nets, sleeping under them. I've seen uh, numbers of malaria going down. You know, I've seen hospitals, birds becoming empty. I said to the U UNICEF people and Rollback Malaria people that I work with, I don't just want to be that celebrity who comes when there's a check to be given or when there's pictures to be taken. I'm a musician, I'm a mother, and I know how those women feel out there. I want to dedicate my life to go to the fields. I want to know exactly what is happening. I said to myself, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, and most of the people who are dying are in this continent, and they will understand me better because I'm one of them, and I know how they feel. And I can put myself in their shoes and, and say to them, I'm a mother, I'm a woman, and I'm an African above all. How can we talk? How can we help each other to better your situation? You've got a very hands-on approach and strong empathy, which resonates through you. And I'm sure that that really connects with the ladies that you engage with. You're listening to Humanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to musician and humanitarian Miss Yvonne Chaka Chaka, who has just shared components from her global humanitarian work and the lives of millions of people that she affects with the activities that she engages with. Miss Chaka Chaka, in August, South Africa annually celebrates Women's Month marking the years that women have struggled and reflecting on the progress that women have achieved. 
part of your contribution this year, I believe, was releasing your teen pregnancy awareness song, Let's Talk, which featured Twice Summer Award-nominated African hip-hop artist Reason. And the song was produced with the support of the Reducing Maternal Child Mortality through Sustaining Primary Health Care, as well as the National Department of Health to promote family planning and reduce maternal death. And earlier, at the beginning of our interview, you mentioned that you had your first child at 18. What message would you like to convey to teenagers regarding teen pregnancy? I think teenage pregnancy is um, a big problem that we are having, not only in the urban areas, but in rural areas. It's a a teenage teen. And the ones that I talk to, uh, some of them, it's because pressure, you know, peer pressure from friends wanting to to be smart and, and, and sleep with boys without even knowing that this body is probably not ready to carry a child. Um, not only the body, but your mental state. You, you, you're not ready psychologically to even become a mother because you want to be young, you want to be hip, and you decide to be pregnant. So when I was asked to do this by RMCH and the Department of Health, I thought, I'm a mother myself. But what do I come with? So I thought I come with experience here. I've had a child when I was young and I knew it wasn't very easy. I still wanted to go to the streets and play. I still wanted to go out with my friends, but I could not do that. I did not even get a chance to go to a proper a traditional university because I was a mother. So I had to start through study through UNISA or Trinity College of London. You know, it, it was uh, those colleges long-distant colleges. So I go around, I mean, over the weekend we're in Polokwane, uh, talking to young people to say it is not easy to be a mother. So I'm actually very happy that our minister, Mutsualedi, he's an amazing minister. Uh, He's hands-on, and he's worked with great, great, great people. I mean, the DG, those are just amazing people. We've gone to talk to different young people, to listen to their to them as well, to hear what the problems are, because they come back to us and say, our parents don't talk to us. So it's still another problem that we as parents do not talk to our children about sex. We can't run away from the fact that it is an African thing that adults do not talk to their children about sex. It's still taboo. It is something that is very taboo, but unfortunately... With all the sicknesses that are there, we need to be talking. Um, We may not talk direct, but we need to sit down and talk to our children. Once a girl is 12 or 13 and they start menstruating, we need to tell them that their hormones scream sex. And I think it is important that we do talk. But now with the houses, which are so many of them, where there's child-headed families, that's another problem. Half of the children that we talk to them, they they have these children, not from their peers, but from sugar daddies, because they promise them cell phones. So they're they looking, them they're doing money. sexual favors to be looked after. Exactly. And beyond just financial so looking after. So it's a social, social. It's emotional. Absolutely. Too. This is a real, it's a, it's a social issue that we need that everybody needs to talk about because you can imagine if a child is brought up by just a granny 
that Granny doesn't have the money to buy me the shoes that I want, the cell phone that I want, but Uncle So-So will do something for me. So it's actually very sad what is happening. So we don't need to be talking to girls only. We need to be talking as the community, all of us, to say, why are we so quiet when our children are going haywire? And when these men, some of them have women, have wives, and they just use these girls for whatever time, and they disappear, they go. It's almost child abuse. But we never talk about those things. And I really think it's so unfair because we've, had, we've got other men who are good men out there who are looking well after their children and will protect their girl child from any of these things. So those are the men we need to be talking to as well to say, please talk to your counterparts because really this is not fair. Now you can imagine these children are left torn emotionally because they are pregnant or some of them maybe one was a virgin and you, you, you just feel dirty that I've done something like this and the man is gone. And But the worst part is when you are being left pregnant, no support system. So it's, it's a whole lot of problems that we need to unpack and say, how do we go back to Ubuntu? We need the values to be reinvested back into society. Oh, yes, absolutely. To deliver on the socioeconomic factors. I was very moved by one of the statements in your profile, and I quote, I know what it's like to sleep without food. I know what it's like not to have. My mum taught me that when you die, you will never take anything with you. So when I have, I share with others. On a personal level, what would you like your legacy to be? You know, um, people always say, oh, you, you're a great role model. I don't know about that. I don't think I, I'm a role model. I've got my faults. I've got, you know, all the things that um, I do wrong. I don't know about the legacy. You know, for me, is uh, knowing well that somebody out there doesn't have. And if you have, why can't you share? I always say, I'm not a Patrice Matipe, I'm not an Oprah, I'm not a, a Gates, but the little that God has given me, I want to share. Sometimes it's not all about money, though. It's about being there for these people, taking your time out and forgetting your stardomness or your comfort zone and go down to ordinary people, see how they feel, see what they need, help where you can. Because I always say, we may have everything that we have, but when we're born, we're born with nothing. And when we live, we have to live to empower each other, to help each other, to take each other out of the frustrations and, and the burdens that we have. My kids always say to me, but mom, you can't change the world. You found it like this. I say to them, I know that I cannot change the world, but I can change one person's life because maybe that's what God has asked me to do. So when I do all the things that I do, I know that sometimes there's so many challenges and shortcomings because I really want to build this clinic in Namibia. I'm not getting the funds that, that I'm looking for. And I get so frustrated, but I say to myself, it will happen. It will happen. It's not about the legacy. It's about helping where you can because really when you die, you take absolutely nothing. No money, no jewelry, nothing. You leave all these things here on earth. So I really think it's important that when we can, we need to help each other. 
and those ordinary women who go out there and make things happen for their communities with absolutely nothing. Those, to me, are unsung heroes. A lot of the work that you've done involves women in particular across all walks of life. In your opinion, what areas do you think that we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future? You know, when women um, are disenfranchised, as I said, and, and so segregated and being told their places in the kitchen, that becomes a huge problem. But when women are empowered, they become amazing because it makes me so angry that a man will go and work in Gauteng or urban areas and leave me as a wife in a rural area and I have to be fending for these children. And he comes back sick and I can't even negotiate to sleep with a condom with him. It, it, it becomes so frustrating. But if we can teach our women to be able to do things for themselves, you know, sometimes people always think, oh, but Yvonne, it's not right. And I say there's a difference between being submissive and respecting your husband or your husband respecting you. Those are two different things. I've seen all over where I went, whether it was in Sierra Leone or in Ghana, when women were given a piece of land, they will plow food to feed everybody, including the man. And we went to pieces of land which were given to men. There was absolutely nothing. And if you empower women, if you give them every skill that they need to be able to, to sustain their lives, they would not only do it for themselves, they will do it for the larger community and for everybody, including the very men who sometimes abuse them. It becomes so sad when a woman knowing that I do not have money and my child has malaria or something and they don't know what to do to get a net or to get food for their children. So you can imagine, but when women are empowered, when they are educated, they'll do things for themselves. They'll even make sure that their children, both boys and girls, have better education so that they don't depend on them and so that they can live a better life. I believe in empowering both women and men, but women will have to work 20 times to make their lives better or to be at, the, at par with their counterparts. So constantly saying, if we can educate our children from an early age that there's no choices for women and choices for men, we are all equal. It's just that men are a bit, are a bit uh, uh, um, strong, you know, physically, and women are feminine. We have to respect them the way they are, but working towards making better communities and better societies. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you here on our show today. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we have been joined by musician and humanitarian Miss Yvonne Chakachaka. Chaka.